Amen? So what you're hearing is real life. And uh, may I invite you today to take your copy of God's Word and find your way to Galatians chapter 3. I want to talk today. This is kind of the second half, the follow-up to last week's sermon on parenting. And because of all these baby dedications, I thought it an appropriate time to take a look at God's Word. And what does God say about parenting? In Michael Horton's book called Christless Christianity, he says this. What would things look like if Satan really took control of a city? Over half a century ago, Presbyterian minister Donald Gray Barnhouse offered his own scenario in his weekly sermon that was also broadcast nationwide on CBS radio. Barnhouse speculated that if Satan took over Philadelphia, that was a city where he pastored, all of the bars would be closed, pornography banished, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. Isn't that something? Not what you would think, but I believe he's right. What Barnhouse described, however, and this is the scary part, what Barnhouse just described is exactly what we want for our children, isn't it? Now, stay with me, but I want to tell you, God wants much more for our children than moralism. He wants them to embrace the gospel, and he's tasked parents to bring them and to shepherd their hearts until they understand their need for the gospel. I want to share with you this morning what gospel parenting looks like and what it doesn't. There's so much confusion. There is such a disconnect, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Even in my own home, <laughs> even with the eight children that God has blessed me and my wife with to be able to parent, it's so easy to forget the gospel when it comes to our parenting. And instead, just try to raise good kids who behave themselves who don't get in trouble with the law, who don't abuse substances, who don't watch pornography, who become good members of society. But I want to tell you, that goal is not enough. That goal oftentimes steals from us that which God really desires. God does not want you to raise a child who is moral, God wants you to raise a child who looks just like his son and understands grace. You see, because morality will spring from grace and it will last a long time. But until we understand that, until it comes from a heart that has been forgiven and knows where they stand before God, it is dangerous. And I'm going to share with you what that looks like. So in your outlines this morning, in your bulletin, I've given you an outline. If you'll follow this along with me, We'll, uh, we'll take a look at what this looks like. And I just want to just briefly share with you three things, that three marks of gospel parenting. This is, this is a way that you can know that am I, am I 
raising my kids with the gospel, or am I, is my goal really just to raise good kids according to some standard? And here's the first thing. It is simply this, that gospel parenting realizes the difference between two starkly different things, and here they are. The difference between a rules-based righteousness and versus a grace goodness. A rules-based righteousness versus a grace-based goodness. One is external, it's all on the outside working its way in, and the other is internal, and it works its way out. One focuses on works, what you do, and the other focuses entirely on identity, who you are. One is death, and the other is life. And this can get very confusing in the trenches of parenting because we want our children to be good kids, don't we? And when they do something that kind of follows the rules a little bit, what do we tell them? You're such a what? A good boy or you're such a good girl. I hope, it's my prayer that when we're done here this morning, that maybe there'll be a check in your spirit the next time you want to say that. Because gospel parenting does not praise the goodness of the child, but rather exalts the goodness of the Savior. And I want to show you how to do that as a parent this morning. Here's what happens, though, and it happens in my house. I'm a master at this. So I've basically done everything wrong that I'm going to tell you today. (laughs) I've done it all. I should write a book about how not to parent. Uh, So I've been there. I've often said that my my gift as a a pastor and specifically in, in parenting is not the gift of doing it right, having done it right. I have the gift of documentation, which means I've fallen into some parenting potholes, and I have the, the gift of being able to tell you where they are so that hopefully you'll stay out of them. And that's really my goal today. Because here's what happens in our parenting is we revert to rules in order to produce right behavior, don't we? We count on rules to fix the behavior. But here's the problem with that. Rule following is powerless to change the heart. Please don't miss that. Rule following is powerless to change the human heart. Y'all are looking at me strange this morning. Don't take my word for it. That's something I say from this pulpit often. Don't believe a word I say. You take what I say and you line it up against God's word. But here's what God's word does say. If you'll look at, uh, keep your finger in Galatians and turn to Romans 3. I think, do I have that on the screen? Romans 3.20? I may have. Yes, I did. Here it is. Matter of fact, read this with me if you would. Let's begin. For by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That verse is pregnant with truth. But it's truth that is so easily forgotten because our goals are too short for our children. We want to produce good kids, let's be honest parents, can we today, who don't embarrass us. Are you with me? That's really about as far as our goals go today, and it's way too small. Uh, we We need to have a bigger goal. 
And it says right here, just so clearly as it can be, I mean, it couldn't be any clearer, that by the works of the law, in other words, doing the right things, the law, the Ten Commandments of God, by the works of the law, how many people are going to make it to heaven? What does it say? No, none of us are getting there by keeping the rules. You ever wonder why that is? Why is it that keeping the rules will never get us to heaven? Why is that? Somebody tell me. Thank you, because you can't do it. It's an impossible task, isn't it? The reason that rule keeping will never get you to heaven, will never is powerless to change your heart, is because you can't keep them. And you know why you can't keep them? It's not the problem with the rules. I love how the Apostle Paul explains that so clearly in his letter to the Romans. He says, it's not the law. The law is good. I mean, the law is a reflection of the heart of God, and God is perfect. Do you agree? So as the problem's not the rules, the problem is what? Me. It's a heart problem, isn't it? And what Paul just goes to great lengths to explain to these Roman Christians is that, hey, the problem is the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It's not a problem with the law. The problem's with your heart. You don't have it in you to be able to keep these rules. So by the works of the law, by you keeping the law, no flesh is going to be justified in the sight of God. Does that make sense this morning? Listen, in other words, the children who actually end up performing better are those who understand that their relationship with God does not depend on their performance. Did you catch that? The kids who end up pulling this off are not the kids. They're, they're the kids who get it. They realize, hey, my relationship... My stand, it, it's not based on my performance for Jesus. Listen, it's based on Jesus' performance for me. Is anybody here this morning? Do you get it? It's based on what, not what I do for Jesus, but what Jesus has done for me. Because at the end of the day, we can make them obey. And it amazes me with, with some parents. You know, they, they can't get this two-year-old to do what they say. It's because they've forgotten that they're bigger than that two-year-old. We can, we can make a child obey. Behave, we, call, we, we can cause them to obey the rules, but that will be very short-lived. It only goes so far. It's very shallow when it's an external obedience to the rules and the heart is not changed. And here's the truth of the matter, that long-term, sustained, gospel-motive obedience can only come from faith in what Jesus has already done, not coming from fear of what we must do. The long-term walk in the right direction only comes from faith in what Jesus has done, not fear of what I have not done. Fear is a short-term motivator. Faith is a long-term motivator. And listen to this, any obedience not grounded in or motivated by the gospel is unsustainable. Now just stop there. Let me just pull back from that for a minute. What does that look like in our parenting? We insist that our children obey. Is that wrong? No. Matter of fact, that obedience, their very life could depend upon our, their obedience to you. It's vital that your children learn to obey. But be careful because the second part of this is that 
gospel parenting also recognizes the purpose of the law, and God gives it right there. Uh, Paul gives it right there in Romans 3.25. He says, for the purpose of the law is what? Is to reveal sin, right? And that's where we go to our verse in Galatians 3 and 24. So the, so the, the second point is that gospel parenting recognizes the purpose of the law. What, why is there a law? Why does God say do these things and don't do these things? Is that up there? It should be. Um, there's a reason for that. But it's not, oftentimes it's not what you think. And as it will come up on the screen, I think Galatians 3.24, it says this. Therefore, the law was our what? Our tutor to bring us to Christ. Isn't that something? Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And then verse 25 is interesting. But after faith has come, we, know we are no longer under a tutor. Now, I'm a tutor. I tutor children who are roughly in the eighth grade on Monday mornings. And, and it's, we're real specific. I, work, I, I do this in a classical hybrid school. And they're very picky not to call me a teacher. That's not my job. Because the teacher really is the parent. I am the tutor. I am contracted by that parent to lead their children on Mondays to lead them in the exercise of thinking. And I guarantee you, most eighth graders have never done this. It's a new territory for them. If you don't believe me, come join me on, a, on any given Monday, and I'll show you exactly what I mean. But as a tutor, my job is to guide them ultimately to the truth. And the way I do that is I show them their desperate need of truth and what life looks like without that truth and where that could lead them. So this idea of a tutor, when Paul says here in Galatians 3.24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that word is interesting because it's a very specific Greek word. And it was a word that related to a household servant. And this servant's job, and if I could bring it over into our culture today, would be the crossing guard. This servant's job was to take the children of the household, the master's children, to the, to the school to be taught. And then when the school was over, he would pick the children up and he would escort them back home. That was his main job. He was kind of like the babysitter, if you will, or... Does that make sense? You getting that idea? So basically, Paul is saying here that the law, the rules of God, are basically like the babysitter. And the whole job of God's law is to bring us to who? To Christ. How does the law, this is the next question, how does the law then bring us to Christ? How does the law accomplish what it's designed to do? And this is where we can go sideways. Because so many times, if we're not careful as parents, we say, well, if my children obey me, then everything is fine. No, not at all. The job of the law is not to, not to make you a good person. It can't do that. The job of the law is to convince you that you're not a good person. <laughs> Are you with me? The job of the law is to say, don't lie. And what do children do? They lie. At least my kids do. And what has, is fascinating to me as a pastor and as a parent, I never had to teach them how to lie. Isn't that interesting? 
Why does lying come so naturally for a child? I, I bought some cereal the other day because it looked, I'm a, I'm a shredded wheat junkie. I'm just going to admit that right now. I love shredded wheat. And um, they make them in mini form now. Remember back in, how many of you are old enough to remember back in the day? It was like a brick. You remember the brick of shredded wheat? That, that was so good, man. We put that one, you had one piece of cereal. My kids are looking at me, really? Yeah, it was, it was like a brick, wasn't it? And you put it in a bowl. We would even put hot milk on it. It was almost like, see, all, all, the, all the northerners are shaking their heads. They get it. Canadians, they get it. <laughs> the southerners are saying, what are you people talking about? But it was. So I bought this. That was blueberry mini shredded wheats. And it, it was good. I had one bowl. I come in a couple of days later, and it's all over the floor in the pantry. And so I said to my wife, I said, what's up with, my, with that cereal? She said, I'm, I figure it was Jack. That's our two-year-old, and that's a pretty good assumption. She said, you ain't going to believe this. She said, I, I took Jack by the hand, and I took him in the pantry, and, and I showed him the cereal on the floor, and she said, who did this? And he said, Emma. And then he said, Ben. Or Sam. Sam do it. Who taught that kid to lie? Nobody had to teach him. He got it from his mother. It's just... No, actually, biblically, if you understand it, children get their sin nature from their father, which is why Jesus didn't have one. It's a beautiful truth that I don't have time to unpack this morning. He actually got it from me. I mean, he's two years old. And he's already a serial liar. Right? So, hey, literally, that's pretty good. That's a pun in there, isn't it? <laughs> I'm so good I didn't even realize I did that. <laughs> a serial liar. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but he is. And he didn't have to be taught that. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing. We can look at that and say you can do one or two things. As a parent, this is where it starts, Mom and Dad. You can look at it and say, oh, man. My kid's a serial liar. I've got, to, I've got to teach him how to tell the truth. Now, is that true? Yeah, you've got to teach him to tell the truth. But that's not the end of the goal. That's not the, that's not the purpose of this whole thing. What we need to be saying as Christian parents is that, hmm, my, ch- my child at two years old has already got lying figured out. He's already figured out somewhere in that little mind that if I lie, I might get out of being in trouble. It might save my bacon. So here's my goal. Even at two years old, is to say to little Jack, you know what, Jack? I get it. I know you did that. And I know you're lying to me about it. But here's the thing. I don't expect anything else from you. Because it's going to take God through his son, Jesus Christ, to give you a love for the truth. And my prayer is that one day you'll see that you can't fix your lying. But only God can when he changes your heart. That's gospel parenting. And that's what we need to be. We need to be rehearsing that to ourselves, mom and dad, and then also to our children. That needs to be what we say over and over and over again. I put it this way. The purpose of the law is to wake us up to who we are outside of Christ and to drive us to trust his work on the cross on our behalf. 
The reason for rules, the reason God has 10 of them, he boils them all down to 10. The reason he did it is to show you, you can't do it. You need someone to do it for you. You need a perfect law keeper because obviously you're not it. Just so happens I sent my son to do exactly that. That's the purpose of the law. The law was given to wake up, wake us up to our desperate need of God's grace. And listen to me, listen to me. Don't let that be lost on your children. Yes, make them obey, but help them to understand that in their disobeying, it just shows how desperately they need the grace of God. And who do you think the primary person to display that grace to them is going to be? It's you. It's mom and dad. You are the ones that are to display just exactly what that grace looks like. And God's given us not only that assignment, but that privilege. Martin Luther, the great reformer, put it this way. He said, the law of God is the most beneficial of all doctrines. However, it cannot advance humans on their way to righteousness, but rather it hinders them. It hinders them. The law guides, but it does not give. The law shows us what a sanctified life looks like, but it does not have sanctifying power. It's the gospel, which is basically what Jesus has done. It's the gospel alone that gives a God-honoring animation to our obedience. It's the gospel that awakens our desire and even ability to obey. The law has no power to do that. Matter of fact, the Bible says, I read it in Romans 3.21, by, or 3.20, by, by the law comes the knowledge of sin. And all I want to tell you as a parent on the backside of this, when, when, when God does reveal Christ to that child and convince them of their sin problem and opens their eyes to see Jesus as a solution and creates life where there was only death before in that little heart, Oh, what a difference in parenting that child. And, and I've experienced that. Because now you appeal not to law, but to grace. And I'll never forget different times, different children in our home. Of, of, and, and this is how the Holy Spirit works, just waking you up to that reality. You're getting ready to jump all over them and pull the law out and kill them with it, Right? And then God says, remember grace, that's a brother in Christ. Yeah, yeah, he just blew it, but he's a brother. Appeal to him with grace. And oh, what a difference. You appeal to him with the word of God and lay it out. Here's what God's word said. How do we, where do we go from here? And there's immediate brokenness. There's immediate spirit of repentance because there's life in the heart that was darkened previously. And in the meantime, we keep using that law to show that there's a sin problem and remind that little one, even at the age of one and two years old, that there's a solution and it's not a program. It's a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. So we need to constantly re remind our children that the power to obey comes from being moved and motivated by the completed work that Jesus did for us on the cross. So while the law directs us, only the gospel can drive us. Only grace can do that. And then the last one, 
is this, is that gospel parenting rejects being good for goodness sake. Gospel parenting rejects being good for goodness sakes. And this, folks, we need to pay attention to this one. There were three boys talking one day, and one boy said, well, you know what, my dad's a doctor. He said, I can be sick for nothing. Pretty good idea. Now the boy said, well, my dad, uh, my dad is a lawyer, so I can be bad for nothing. And the other boy said, well, my dad's a pastor. I can be good for nothing. <laughs> and if we're not careful, we'll raise kids that will do exactly that, that will be good for goodness sake. It's called moralism. And let's face it, most of our children believe that God is happy if they're good for goodness sake. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. One of the folks actually said, you know what, we just got this idea. Do we not all have this idea that if I do right, it's a syllogism, if I do right, then God is going to bless me. If I do right, then nothing bad will ever happen to me. Apparently, you've never read the Bible. There's a lot of people in here that did right, and some of the worst things happened to them. But we have this faulty idea, don't we? It's being good for goodness sake, just for the sake of being good. And listen, one writer put it this way. He said, we've transformed the holy, terrifying, magnificent, and loving God of the Bible into Santa and his elves. It's pretty strong, isn't it? But it, we have. And instead of transmitting the glorious the gloriously liberating and life-changing truths of the gospel, we have taught our children that what God wants from them is morality. Be careful here. It goes on to say this. We have told them that being good, at least outwardly, is the be-all, end-all of their faith. This is not the gospel. We're not handing down Christianity. We need much less of Veggie Tales and Barney and tons more of the radical, bloody, scandalous message of God made man and crushed by his Father for our sin. That's what we need. Let us dare not reduce the Creator and Redeemer to Santa and his elves. We're not good for good. Our goodness, the best we can do. We talked about this in Sunday school today. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, when I die, they're going to put all my good deeds on one side and all my bad deeds on the other. And I'm sure that my good deeds will what? I'll, don't be so sure about that. Because the Bible makes it very clear that if it worked that way, when we get to heaven and all that started to happen before we stand before God and, and, and they start doling those things out, we're going to be shocked how many things that we think belongs on a good side that end up on the bad side. The Bible makes it clear all of our righteousness, all of our good deeds, all of our good works are as filthy rags in the eyes of God. They fall so very far short of what God's standard actually is. So, here's the question. I give you these three main points of what gospel parenting looks like. We're Christian parents, but are we parenting like Christ? Is our parenting Christian? So what does that look like in the trenches? I'll give you an example. And if you've had any children, and if you had more than one, you've experienced this at, at some form. You'll probably remember something like this. You're home, and you hear screams coming from the back of the house. Okay, I, can, I see heads nodding. You're already with me. 
You run into the back room, and, and there is little Billy on top of little Johnny, and he's pounding a stuffing out of them. You ever been there? If not, hang on, it's coming, in one form or another. And so you break it up, and you, you pull little Billy off of Johnny, and, and you say, what are you doing? How, why would you treat your brother so ter- terribly? You have to love your brother. Does God command us to love our brother? Yes, he does. I mean, it's one of the basic commandments. If, you know, if you say you love God and hate your brother, God says, I'm not buying it. Little Billy has to love little Johnny. So you tell him that. But the kid turns around and looks at you and says, but he's such a jerk. I hate him. And I, I'll never love him. Now, here's the question. How do you respond to that? Seriously, I want feedback now. What, what do you say? He's just pounding the stuffing out of his little brother. You tell him, God says you've got to love that little brother of yours. And he looks you right in the eye and he says, I'll never love him. I hate him. What do you tell him? How do you parent that? You have two ways of doing it. You can parent it according to a rules-based righteousness or a grace-based goodness. Now, we're assuming that little Johnny has not understood grace yet. We're assuming his little heart is still darkened. Now, just if you didn't hear this message, and I threw that scenario at you, it would, that your response would probably look something like this. He's your brother. How dare you say you hate him? Don't you know that when you say that, it makes God very disappointed? God doesn't like it when you say that you hate your little brother. Now, you have to love him. Now, you give him a hug and tell him you're sorry. Does that sound vaguely like something we would do? Am am I in the ballpark? Anybody? Is anybody out here? Okay. Have you been parented that way, maybe? Right? Okay, so you get that? That's what we do. Can I ask you a question? I want to say this gently. How is that any different from a Jewish parent or a Mormon or a moralistic atheist. How is that answer any different? You be good, you love your brother for goodness sake. It's, moral. it's moralism. And I want I just I just want to communicate today that moralism is the death of the gospel. And here's why good people put those in terms in quotes, good people split hell wide open every single day because they go into eternity trusting on their good works. You say, where did that start? Back years ago when he was pounding his little brother. And mom said, you've got to love him because it's the right thing to do. And so he started to do that. And he, and he realized, if I keep the rules, not only does it go easier for me, it makes other people like me. And we create a moralistic child that turns into a moralistic adult who goes into eternity without Jesus Christ because he doesn't need Jesus. He's good on his own. Are you with me? What does that look like if you're parenting with the gospel? Let's go back. He's sitting on his little brother, pounding the stuffing out of him. You separate him, and you say to little, little Johnny, what are you doing? You're supposed to love your, that's your brother. You're supposed to love him. 
but he's such a jerk. I hate him and I'll never love him. I can't love him. Gospel parenting says something a little bit different. Gospel parenting says, well, I'm glad to hear you say that. Because it's the truth. You're telling me the truth. And it shows me something. Little Johnny, it shows me that God's working on your heart. Because it's true that God commands you to love your brother. But you can't. And that's the bad news. But that's not all the news that there is. The rest of the news is so exciting. Because you can't love your brother like God is asking you. So you're going to need someone else to do that for you. You need a rescuer. You need someone to come in and love him when you can't. And guess what? God sent that rescuer. It's his son and his name is Jesus. And he has perfectly loved you and perfectly loved his brothers for you. And he fulfilled God's command to love. But here's what he did. He, he fulfilled God's command to love, but he did it in your place. And if you believe him, he doesn't punish you. Because he took all the punishment you deserve when he died on the cross for you. And he knows how angry you are. And he knows that there's times that you're hateful and selfish and mean to your brother. He sees all that, but listen, Johnny, he loves you in spite of your sin. He loves you in spite of yourself. And because of this, because of the way that you have been loved so deeply, that if you believe in him, you will grow to love your brother more than you ever thought possible. Because Jesus alone, because of what he's already done for you, you can learn to love if you believe that he will be the one that is loving with you. But you'll never, ever be able to do this on your own. That's gospel parenting. And what has just happened? Instead of trying to make good little boys and girls out of our children who don't embarrass us, we recognize they got a sin problem that at two years old they're a serial liar. <laughs> they got a darkened little heart. And what we say is we're not worried about changing the sin. Instead, we're going to take the sin and use it, like God says, and drive them to the Savior and take every opportunity to do exactly that. And if we would, let me ask you a question, how would your parenting be different? One of the things we learned years ago, and I, I guess I say for myself, I've forgotten. Years ago, we, we stopped saying, oh, you're such a good boy or you're such a good girl. We went through a phase where we said, oh, that was a good choice instead. And then we added to that, say, you know, that was a good choice. And the reason that was a good choice is because it shows me that God is working in your heart. I can see God working in your heart based on some of the decisions you're making. And it gives me great hope that one day soon, you're going to see your desperate need for Jesus so that this kind of activity, this kind of behavior can happen all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that, that 
little Johnny is not going to get some discipline for what he did. He broke the law. He broke God's law. He broke the law of your home. And there's consequences for that. But we need to make sure he understands that there is one who can do perfectly through him what he, as he admits to himself, could never do on his own. Does that make any sense this morning? So let me, um, let me kind of wrap this up just by saying this, and I think this is so vitally important, that we need the gospel of grace and the grace of the gospel. And our children desperately need this in our parenting. Children can't use the law any more than we can because they're going to respond to it the same way we do. They'll either ignore it or bend it or obey it outwardly for selfish purposes. But one thing is certain. They won't obey it from the heart because they can't. That's exactly why Jesus had to die. So are we parenting with the gospel of God?